Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome to Pixels. This is a show where we cover the gaming news for the past couple of weeks and uh, we talk about PCs, consoles, mobile, all of that good stuff so you don't have to go and uh, read every single blog out there to know what's happening in the wonderful world of gaming. My name is Patrick Beja and today I'm welcoming to the show Michael Bell, also known as uh, Bellular. Bellular, Bellu. How do you even pronounce this? You know, it's funny. I barely ever say it, so it's it's always uh, yeah, it's always a surprise to see which way people go. Well, I'm really <laughs> glad to have you on. Um, as we were sort of um, uh, geeking out before we started recording, I've been uh, watching your channel on YouTube for almost a year now. And um, it's mainly World of Warcraft stuff, but you also do a bunch of uh, other games. You're a, a, a avid gamer, of course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, so we were talking about this. I think it might be interesting to the listeners. Um, I discovered your channel, uh, as I was saying, when I was completely geeking out on um, on Legion, the new World of Warcraft expansion, well, new from last year. And it was about, I don't know, June, July, something like that. And you sunk like an uncountable amount of hours into that beta <laughs> and basically produced more yeah. video than I could watch. And I didn't understand how you had time to do all of this. Like, is this, is this your life? Um, it, it's half of it. The other one is, is game development, which is a strange one. Um, yeah, Legion was, that was a fun time. I, I kind of, yeah, I made myself almost uh, unavoidable with all those class reviews. Yeah. But uh, certainly, yeah, it was, it was, it was good fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I discovered the the channel and I talked about it on the instance, which is a World of Warcraft uh, specific podcast I do. And uh, I missed that episode. Wow. Oh, you did. So how did you how did you find out? Because you then at some point tweeted at me and say, "Hey, you know, I I like your stuff from uh, the old um, the old days of the instance." And I was like, "Oh my god, he knows who I am!" And I was like, yeah. completely. <laughs> We had a mutual geek out uh, way yeah. back in the day when it was uh, the mod of the week. In those it was yeah, Patrick's mod of the week. Right. Um, yeah, way back. It's you know, it's really funny how these relationships develop on the internet because basically, so this is the first time we're talking to one another, and it's it since I've been watching you on the channel for uh, a few months now and uh, you you've heard my voice a few times on on a few shows it's like oh hey how are you doing yeah cool and what have you been playing it's like we almost know each other yeah, already it's and the we've never spoken thing. right all of the introductions uh we don't need to do them we we kind of already caught up yeah so yeah it's crazy 
it's really fun. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really happy that uh, I can get you on the on the channel, uh, on the show. I mean, and uh, as you mentioned, you're also a, a game developer. Um, can you tell us? I know it's not you know not a lot of it is public, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do oh, there? Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's a bit of a funny situation, basically. Uh, like I'm 22, so pretty much fresh out of university and back uh, back in second Holy year. Holy crap! Wait a second, 22. <laughs> that yep. means when I started doing the things on the instance, yep. <laughs> you were what, eleven or ten? Uh, something. It's this is like a town crier situation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh my! That uh, maybe we shouldn't have dove into this. <laughs> That's funny. So. Okay, before we get back to the um, to the conversation about your what you're doing in game development, I want to ask you: Were you playing World of Warcraft back then as well, or did you discover it later and did you uh, fell in fall into it then? Yeah, so I discovered it. This is, I always get really confused because it was on New Year's Eve, so I don't remember like which year I actually started. I think it was 2006. Uh, yeah, it was New Year's Eve 2006. All right, so it was, and yeah, back in the day, yeah, maybe not the very beginning, but you were, like, three when the game launched. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, interesting. It was back in that time where, like, YouTube wasn't a thing, so, you you know, if you wanted more content about the game, it was either a blog or a podcast, because that stage YouTube was, like, it was cats, and it's, it's sort of its early stage. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the post-stamped uh, size videos and cats on skateboards, <laughs> yeah. skateboards, yeah. So how did you, like, so you, you started playing at that point, um, and when did you start, like, thinking, I want to create content about the thing? That was a strange one, because uh, it was actually Mists of Pandaria um, when, I, when I first started. Like, I kind of liked the idea of doing YouTube stuff in the past, but Mists came around, it was, like, after first year in university, there was all the, starting your first year as a, is a crazy time that involves a lot of sore heads, but then it all sort of smooths over and ends, and you're you're kind of left there just thinking, oh, what, am, what am I going to do? So a friend of mine reintroduced me back to the game because Miss of Pandaria came out right when I hit uni, which uh, pretty much ended up meeting no wow, but <laughs> I remember getting in, and uh, I'm sure you remember back the, the, the moth days with all the dailies. I was, I was sure, doing yeah. like my, my full share, and yeah, I just sort of thought, I'm spending this much time anyway. I should probably try to make something of it. And so you just decided, all right, I'm just going to launch a YouTube channel about this and started doing it? Uh, kind of. It, it was that mixed in with uh, one day I had this idea that I wanted to become a brilliant StarCraft II player. <laughs> Suffice to say, that's, that didn't turn out. And I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll stream StarCraft every, you know, t once a day or whatever. And that'll keep me practicing like a, a good professional player and i don't think i ever made it out of platinum uh but i soon was like yeah i'll just do a wow video sort of threw it up and yeah started with youtube mm, cool all right uh so basically the uh, blissful days of uh, university were we think we have no time at all but actually we kind of do and there's time to waste to do stuff that's uh that's a pretty nice part of our lives i guess um, so, but, uh, so now you're in game development. Um, what about that? Yeah, so that's a, it's, it's a bit of a strange one. We're really only, I think, getting in our stride at the minute. Um, but it, it's one of those things where you try something out, you spend a year kind of like failing and learning uh, at the same time. So we actually ended up abandoning a project that had uh, a little bit of funding going into it, which didn't feel good, but 
we're now sort of going into our future stuff with a lot more uh, wherewithal. So I guess that what we're doing, um, we're developing in Unity. What we're our sort of future main project is. Uh, I won't give the title because we're <laughs> not sold on it, but uh, it involves uh, Kaiju and Max and stuff like that. Uh, so it's of, like, PC development or consoles or uh, PC. Uh, we're going okay. for a sort of a strategy game, uh, and our one of our more unique twists we really want to go for is like a sort of unique characters and stuff like that. My uh, co-director in the business writes plays, uh, so, which continually scares me. But we're <laughs> sort of using him for all the all the dialogue stuff. So you're you're 22 and you're basically you said co-director, so you're heading uh, the, the 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 game, the company, the development. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, it's it's nice. one of those. Like, there's only four or five of us, so it's uh, we all have yeah, to wear a small team, quite but quite a few hats. All right. Cool. Uh, and yeah. I know you're also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh no, that's that's pretty much the, the long and short of it. I'm, right. I I will have announcements in the near future, hopefully. All right. I know you also <laughs> have a really interesting uh, WoW mod uh, that you're working on, which has a, a lot of narrative. Uh, um, uh, elements to it which intrigue me <laughs> a lot and uh, so you you studied uh game dev like you're a programmer right uh, at university yeah or? it was it was one of those times when you know the university because of course you know universities they 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 really care about their bottom line quite a bit so they advertise a course as game development you think oh wow you know i'm gonna go do some game development and you're really doing a sort of a soft computer science degree uh, which is why me and my friend ended up, uh, we left before our sort of master's pathway finished, um, just to head right into actual game development. So from that, it's it's more of a programming background. Um, but thankfully, he also is a theater guy. I don't think you find many programmers and theater people, but <laughs> that's we're a little bit more rounded out because of that, I think. All right. Well, there you go. That's the message for today. Kids, don't stay in school. You don't need it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, do, do you watch Silicon Valley? I don't, but I imagine that's what they say. Uh, uh, well, for the for the viewers who've watched that, uh, it's a little like a sort of Peter Gregory situation. All right. Well, that will uh, mean yeah. a lot to them. Um, all right. Well, that this turned into a mini interview. I didn't plan it like that, but <laughs> that was cool. Um, and uh, hopefully it will help uh, listeners uh, be informed about how we're... Ooh. Sorry about this. Uh, how we're going to be uh, uh, talking about the different games. Um, so yeah. we're going to be talking about Mass Effect Andromeda. That's actually the main reason I have you here because you've been playing it quite a bit um, in in um, with the early access thing. And apparently, you're it, 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 there's stuff to say there. Uh, we have a little bit of <laughs> um, of a conversation about the sales for the Switch. Yes, we're going to be talking about the Switch every single episode until the end of time it feels like uh, a little bit of zelda as well um sales for horizon uh, playstation 4 stuff happening and uh well i guess we can get started with uh, mass effect andromeda which yeah um so the reviews have come out and we might talk about this a little bit later the game seems to be getting uh uh you know there was over the past few days a bunch of uh, memes developing on Twitter and elsewhere about the animations for the game, which honestly sort of tainted the perception for many people. It sort of got me to take a step back and go like, oh, wait a second. Is this actually how it is? Maybe I shouldn't uh, dive headfirst into it. Also, I have a bunch of other things to play. But um, uh, this 
sort of got eclipsed now by the actual release of the game. And, um, well, let's put it like this. The reviews seems to indicate that the game is far from perfect, but it will uh, give people the mass effectness that they um, are looking for, even if it's not to the level of the previous Mass Effect games. And I have a bunch of other more precise questions, but I'm wondering if you feel with the, what is it, eight hours, 10 hours you've put into the game, uh, what are your feelings uh, on that front? Yeah, so I played it for 16 hours at this uh, at this stage, and it's, it's a very, very bizarre game. Um, and a lot of people talk about sort of Bioware 2.0 and sort of the Dragon Age Inquisition and Onwards era, and it definitely feels like a game that's had many hands working on it, and I'm pretty sure the team size increased uh, quite a lot as well. It's, it's interesting that it, it does take, uh, at least on the face of it and what I've experienced so far, quite a lot of nods from the structure of Dragon Age Inquisition, which... You know, that was the one thing that I was personally pretty worried about because I, I play World of Warcraft as we covered and, uh, you know, those sort of MMO-styled side quests, um, they weren't really what I was looking for in the Mass Effect universe. So you've got that whole game structure, I think, uh, thing op- sort of operating in one corner and what that does to the game's pacing. Uh, on the opposite one, we've still got the Mass Effect-style missions that I think... Uh, most of us sort of know and love where we've got our characters and you know, the interactions between all your companions. And, you know, they're good, high-quality, AAA uh, sort of feeling things. Um, so there's the game is often at odds between those two sides. It's trying to tell you this, you know, right now, I think, maybe a little bit generic, but definitely engaging and covering some interesting ground sort of story. Uh, but then it's sometimes bogged down in the in the filler and the stuff like that. Um, we do, of course, see there's a lot of really brilliant things in this game. The combat, I think most of the reviews universally um, have loved the combat. Yeah, they said, everyone's saying that basically the uh, action gameplay parts of the game are significantly improved. Yeah, man, it, it feels amazing. Uh, you you feel like a force of nature. Uh, in fairness, I'm playing as a, as a vanguard, uh, so they're kind of... They're biotic, which is basically the force uh, in the Mass Effect universe. Uh, they they <laughs> right. try to like, they try to track no babble uh, a solution as to why it works, but it's the force. Right. Uh, but with that, you know, you're charging into combat, you're lifting people, you're throwing them, uh, you're you know, you're just chucking a guy off a cliff, and it it all that is is really brilliant. And then, of course, yeah, as you covered, there's all the memes. They're hard to escape. All the what? Um, sorry. All, all the memes. All right, the, right. You know, the, the so- spatial animations and. I guess that's that's my first question. Um, how is it actually that bad? As bad as we've seen in the memes and the and the gifs, and well, I guess there are some moments that are that bad, or otherwise they wouldn't have uh, filmed them. But does it impact your enjoyment of the game, or, or are they few and far between enough that you know you don't worry about them so much? So the really bizarre thing um, is, so of course, the, the way this game worked, and this is another really interesting uh, discussion, is the review embargo that kind of expanded as time went on. And then the EA uh, Origin Access trial thing, which was like the first eight hours. In that first eight hours, I saw far more problems, far much uh, less polish. Uh, all, you know, all of the sort of primary memes that people have seen are from that period. And I found that after that, there was no, there was really no stuff that was hilariously bad. Uh, like there was a few times, 
it's not really a spoiler, but like, you can imagine, like, it's Mass Effect. They're going to give you a spaceship at one point. Uh, and when I was looking at Ryder's face, at, like, her reaction to getting the, the spaceship, I had to shadow play it and send it to my friend because he was wondering on the other end of the house why he heard me belly laughing. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's, it's, it's very strange. So, yeah, though they definitely take you out of the experience because sometimes there's... There's a scene that's like, say, you becoming a Spectre in Mass Effect 1, uh, getting the Normandy in Mass Effect 2, where they're meant to be really, you know, they kind of are key points in in the the main character's arc. Uh, Sometimes it takes you out of them, but from what I've experienced, past the first eight hours, the frequency of that really decreases, which really makes you wonder why EA seemed to be like, yeah, you can see the worst bit of the game. And, (laughs) you know... uh, yeah, very strange. That That's really interesting. And a few people have said, and maybe we can get back to that, that also the missions are not the best ones, the ones they start you off with. Uh, the planet is not the most interesting. I think in your uh, first impressions video, you mentioned it was basically Arizona and it was that was basically one environment and it was kind of crappy. Um, not that Arizona is crappy, or although not that know. I've ever even been to Arizona. <laughs> well, I, I have. It's, it's a desert, so if you like that kind of thing. Um, but the the beyond the fact that some people have been mentioning, um, you know that that the reason the animations look so bad is that the graphics, you know, the modeling of the characters is so much better that you get into that uncanny valley where when the animation yeah. isn't as good, then it stands out more. Honestly, looking back at the animations from Mass Effect 1, 2, or 3, I, it it doesn't feel like that, honestly. It feels like the animations, are some of those animations are just bad. Um, but beyond that... The, the way game development works usually is that you start working on your levels and on your, uh, you know, different architecture from the middle of the game. And then you leave the, the maybe the end you're going to do towards the end of the development cycle because you have had basically training and trials to do the best you can. But the very beginning, you do absolutely last so that you're certain that players getting in get the best possible experience yeah. and maybe they try out a little bit of it and and are sold on the on the game um so it's a great first impression apparently they didn't do that right they they really don't seem to have uh, to have done that it it's strange it's a game that technically has went through a five-year-long development cycle usually that means years one and two and maybe even a little bit of three but probably just one and two are spent in the pre-production phase which I mean, to me, it would have assumed that they would have had a lot of their core kind of technical issues and questions answered during that period. Um, you're definitely right. Like, the older the older models didn't look great. Like, sometimes Shepard pulled some some mighty awkward-looking faces, even if it was supposed <laughs> to be, like, a, you know, a really heartfelt romance scene and he's just derping out in the corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I suppose for a lot of people, they would have expected that there would have been an increase. Um, really, what the the uncanny valley thing is is speaking to, and I remember I, I sent a, a, a good screenshot of the, the game to a friend of mine who is a um, he's a rendering engineer over at Rare and um, the Sea of Thieves at the minute. But he his first reaction to it was, "Wow, that subsurface scattering shader and the skin is great." It's, <laughs> it's it's like you know you've got this human skin, but it's not moving like most human skin that you're used to seeing, and then mm. you get really freaked out. Uh, but as I said, after hour eight, it's a mixture of you get used to it and there's genuinely less big derp out, so it's okay. 
Mm, um, and I, okay. I just got to assume that they had some, you know, fun issues in game development, which I guess is it's pretty much always the case. Um, all right, so let's stop focusing on these uh, these very specific issues. As yeah. my wife is coming home, so I tried to mute the the mic, but <laughs> I guess it was the the little voice on Discord. The little sound is going to be heard on the recording. So apologies for that. Hey, honey. <laughs> um, so what was I saying? Right, let's stop focusing on those memes yeah. and, and kind of that silliness because the main question about the game is actually how good is it? And um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the feeling of adventure and discovery uh, in that game because they've made a little bit of a number of the fact that you're going to have a, a few uh you know handcrafted planets to go explore that are going to be their own ecosystem and you know the the what i was really looking for in that game was what i found in uh mass effect one which was i think a little bit lost in the in the subsequent uh uh, uh titles which is that feeling of exploring the galaxy like you're you're there you're left to basically your own devices and it's tell the game is telling you go and find stuff out. Um, does that work in that game or not? Yeah, um, well, not as much as Mass Effect One, in that one had I think a high number of not particularly detailed worlds. So this definitely goes for smaller worlds, but more detail. And but it's definitely in many ways the game is closer to Mass Effect One than it would have been to uh, two and three. So that's down to you've got more exploration. It's even down to the awkward and, you know, sort of front-heavy introduction to the game. In many ways, yeah, it does feel like it's a sequel to Mass Effect 1, not to Mass Effect 3, which I think for many people is probably a really good thing. Like, there have been times where, you know, I'm exploring a planet and it's genuinely cool. And it really helps, uh, you know, they're in Frostbite. They can pull off some really just beautiful-looking shots and vistas and, you know, environments and all that stuff. Mm, Yeah, Frostbite is definitely an asset there if you want to get players to have a sense of wonder at the at the environment um all right so overall the gameplay like the um the the actual minute to minute gameplay action gameplay is good the exploration is there uh why do i get the feeling that from the reviews i've read this is basically a good probably photocopy of mass effect and not as good as the you know the original trilogy is that just my impression or i think it's it's a game that's had an incredibly hard act to follow as much as mass effect 3 had its issues and i probably wouldn't rate it as highly in in hindsight for a a few things uh the not including the ending but that game ended up for reviewers and i think for almost everyone who played it being the culmination of what, seven years of storytelling? So it's always going to be an uphill battle when they're trying to sort of do something new. I've seen a lot of people talk about maybe they don't connect with Ryder as much as Shepard, which I've initially, based on how I found Shepard in Mass Effect 1, I kind of prefer initial Ryder, and I think it's actually worth getting into that in a little bit. Um, oh dear, I've managed to lose my train of thought. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> it, like, is, is it a, a photocopy of... <sighs> of uh mass effect like it, it does it live up to the expectations of the original trilogy which are admittedly pretty high because of the emotional factor of it but you know also can be considered in a more factual manner is it as good a game 
it's so hard to say that one objectively. I think there is a lot of excellent game in there. Uh, if if you're looking for the right thing, I suppose. I'd imagine, uh, like a lot of people, there's this So what's the right Dragon. thing? The, I think, the, right, it's tricky. So Dragon Age Inquisition is a good example of when I think the formula didn't work for a lot of people, where, as an example, the Hinterlands, I think that was an area that was renowned for being really big, really long, not that much high-quality content, yet the overall game, if you followed it in the right way, did have a really engaging story and good characters. So I, I feel like for a lot of players, if they go in and they know roughly what type of content to maybe gloss over, the more sort of MMO-like stuff, I think there is a really good, perhaps 30 to 50 hour long single-player RPG that's got you know good characters, a good plot, even if it is a tad generic in places. Uh, I, I think there is a very good game in there. Uh, it didn't seem to be helped by uh, the various memes, which catch and yeah. fire, as they always... Yeah, I, I think unfortunate circumstances have maybe marred it more than it should be and it definitely is a game with quite a lot of flaws if you like the mass effect universe though i think uh, i think you'll be into it mm. so maybe it's in that area where it can uh, speak to the fans of the game franchise genre whatever but maybe it's not good enough that it transcends that genre and can be recommended to any gamer who enjoys gaming period would that be a fair I, assessment? I think so. I think those people would probably want the context uh, of the previous games. Because uh, as an example, like as a Mass Effect player, you know what a, a Krogan and Turin is, so they don't really go to much length to introduce those races. It's just sort of assumed that you already know what they're like. And I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts on it are, because I... I'm correct, you enjoyed Mass Effect 1, but didn't really get into uh, future ones? Yeah, yeah, Exactly. And um, and actually, the, the the issue, one of the issues I have, it's it's interesting you mentioned the Krogans and everything, and uh, is it feels weird that the races from a whole other different galaxy are basically the same. And I understand, you know, they get go there just as we do, but do we do we get that feeling of differentness, like you know, again, discovery, including from different alien races that we encounter or are do they suffer the um the the issue of star trek and i apologies to both trekkies and trekkers um <laughs> of you know a new race is basically a new head thing oh, yeah. on an, a regular <laughs> person and they're like oh that's a blarg and the blargs are terrible right so is is it yeah, in fairness, they've they've got slightly more makeup on the new faces this time <laughs> around for the new race. Um, but it's the same they're, thing. They're, they're, I think they are a fundamentally interesting concept uh, as a race. Their story, though, is... is but it's one race. It's like the, the... What is it? I can't... It doesn't even matter, but... I mean, yeah, so be, far, it's it's one. Mm. Uh, well, not two, but yeah, I don't want to sort of get yeah, into yeah, yeah, more okay, okay. late-game things. And I, hmm. I guess the, the, the final thing that I've found interesting is a lot of the the critique for writers uh, writing. And what was weird to me is I kind of, I kind of was with some of the critiques there. And then I, I headed onto the wiki randomly for the character. Turns out she's 22 or he, if you um, roll the, the male writer, there's a lot of people been talking about this dialogue, which is uh, kind of a little bit more goofy uh, and awkward in some places. Mm. But to me, it feels like you're definitely playing a character who's 22 doesn't have much experience uh, which I guess 
in a few ways I find relatable. If you were maybe used to Commander Shepard, who is a goddamn Commander Shepard, you know? Right, right. If you're used to this sort of hardened military person, it might be a bit strange, but I, I think that they, they've got a good opportunity to explore some new ground with uh, their characterization because overall it's a younger squad. They're a bit less experienced and sometimes that can lead to, uh, yeah, some pretty good moments. And so that is expressed in the writing and in the situations they put you in. It's, it's because that sounds to me like good writing if they manage to convey these kinds of things. It's, I think it's with writing, it's always a fine line, mm. really, especially if you're trying to do a character who's approaching. And it mainly comes up in one or two of the romances, which of course have been clipped and uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> um, there's a particularly great one um, where a character's response to uh, the situation being awkward is just kill me now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I found some of that stuff endearing. I completely understand how much it wouldn't be for others, though. Uh, yeah. But it's not been a major problem for me. That's it. There's one or two characters, like that Addison one, uh, whose face is tired. As, as the, the internet. Right. The, the one we've seen yeah. in most of the GIFs and memes, oh, yeah. Man, there's no, there's no defense for her. I'm <laughs> I have no idea what is going on there. All right. Well, so you know what? There is some criticism to be leveled at the game, it seems. But you, your, your thoughts got me to a more positive uh, outlook on the game than I uh, had before. So maybe at some point in the far-flung future of the you know future where I have time for other games, <laughs> I might pick it up and check it out. Yeah. If you were okay with the clunks of one and loved the some of the other elements, then I think it's got a good chance. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for those uh, first impressions. That was Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, now let's talk a little bit about the the switch and uh, the report from it was a I think even a, a week ten days ago where um, one of the many uh, analyst firms. Uh, it was super data. There you go. Um, uh, estimates that the game, uh, the the console, has sold 1.5 million units uh, in the world, and that was, as I said, maybe 10 days even more uh, ago. So it's likely that they've sold more since then, um, and that's not the biggest surprise uh, for uh, um, for for the console because we know it's been relatively successful. People are responding to the concept, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but it leads us to a more interesting um, rumor. Uh, I don't know if we can call it a rumor, a report from the Wall Street Journal uh, that uh, that says the manufacturing of the Switch has been doubled for the next fiscal year. So that's uh, April 2017 to March 2018. It was 8 million that they ordered and they doubled it to 16 million, which is a significant uh, impact on the entire company. Um, it it seems like that is the best, if it's true, it, and you know, the Wall Street Journal is a reputable publication, so I would be inclined to believe them. Um, but if it's true, it, it is the best confirmation possible that it is indeed a, a really good success for Nintendo beyond what we could have hoped. They are going to sell out those two millions they were talking about in March, and um, they are planning on selling a lot more in the upcoming months and, and year. And that's a really 
positive uh, thing for people who love, you know, Nintendo and gaming. I believe you're mostly a PC gamer, uh, Michael, um, but you do yeah. have a Switch. I wonder what you think of it and what your, you know, opinion is on that uh, on that report. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm mostly a PC gamer, but I think if you are a PC gamer and you're going to have one console, it probably should be something Nintendo because you're not going to get their catalog on your PC, and it's it's pretty damn unique. And um, so yeah, I've I've got the Switch. I've put about two hours into Zelda, which uh, is unfortunate, but I've got a train ride and uh, <laughs> a house with no computer for the next weekend. So uh, yeah, I definitely plan to put a lot more into that. It's it's interesting with that increased production, especially looking at their just their launch lineup. I think it shows a lot of confidence from Nintendo in uh, in Mario and their their other titles that are coming, which is. It's interesting to me because it's similar to what they did way back when they tried to save the Wii U, where there was a you know a period of time where they just had all these games and they just kind of staggered them out. So they you know they had all these games with a really high percentage of Wii U owners purchasing them. It seems like they've learned some good lessons uh, from that, but are dealing with a way more successful bit of hardware. Yeah, I mean, for for the Wii U, the uh, attach rate was huge. Uh, the attach rate being the the uh, number of games people buy for each console. Um, I mean, the attach rate for actually that might not be the right metric. The uh, number of um, uh, people owning the console buying one specific Nintendo game was really high. Maybe only because there is there was no other games coming out, um, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, but yeah, it really does show a lot of confidence. I think the difference between the Wii U and the Switch is now uh, the launch period being extremely successful for, for the Switch. And that basically kickstarting. It's what we've been talking about for months uh, since they announced the thing. And we were, or I don't want to speak for everyone, at least I was saying they need to nail the launch period. If they don't, then it's going to be a problem going forward, but they did, and that's going to generate interest from developers. A lot of people are going to be looking at it. The The saving grace, well, that might be a strong term, but uh, the quality of Zelda is really what is giving uh, the Switch its its reactors, launching it, it into orbit. I, it's not done. Obviously, there's a lot of, uh, of things that need to happen to make it a, a real success but given they managed to uh to to do well on that launch period everything else unlocks and they do have a few games that are coming out over the next uh, few months which now that people are responding positively to um, the console initially just become additional reasons to be more positive whereas if things had been a little bit more nuanced in the beginning, people who said, well, it doesn't really change my opinion. But since the opinion is already positive, um, I think that's a great sign. And also what you're saying, I actually didn't really think of it because I'm a, a very much a you know PC and console gamer. But if you own a PC and you want to uh, buy a console, I don't think there's even a question, right? If you're a PC gamer... Yeah you need a Switch, not any of the, of the other ones. Yeah, I, bar Uncharted and The Last of Us, which will keep me of having course. some money invested in Sony's side. But yeah, it seems like that is it is the most unique sort of set of games, and it's the most un-PC, sort of yeah. <laughs> unpolitically correct Nintendo games. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not like your Counter-Strike or your League or your Dota or your WoW or your StarCraft. Mm. It's, it's a completely different experience, so I think it's, it's 
probably the best one. Um, it's, and it's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, that too. I think that's genuinely a really, really good uh, innovation. It's, it's interesting seeing because the Switch, uh, on a hardware perspective, is essentially you're looking at a, um, an NVIDIA Shield tablet, but done in, a, I think, a really, really good and attractive package um, as far as the, you know, the whole Switch mechanic goes. You know, um, course, yeah, sorry, go ahead. One of, one of the, would you say Nintendo's best game in the last 10 years, or at least one of them? Zelda? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, one of, the, one of them for sure. I absolutely adored uh, Super Mario 3D World. I think it's one of the best design games ever created, including yeah. for Nintendo. That was a stellar stellar game, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping it will come out on the Switch so I can buy it again and play it again. <laughs> like, that's how dumb I am about this uh, this whole thing. Uh, but yeah, Zelda, definitely. And we can talk about this a little bit more, actually. Um, but the... the I mean, there you mentioned uh, Uncharted, The Last of Us, which, yes, if you want to play those games specifically, although we're going to be talking about PlayStation Now in a little bit, and that might have a bearing yeah. on, on that. But if you want to play console, you know, uh, uh, manufacturer-exclusive titles, yes, you're going to have to... Uh, buy those consoles anyway uh, but I think if you have a powerful PC you're playing PC games and you're a PC gamer um, then if you want to have something that provides you with a different kind of experience the Switch is going to be what does that hopefully and it provides you with another thing we've been talking about a lot on the show which is a, a genuine con- uh, uh, gamer's experience in a portable way which Let's be honest, phones and tablets do not provide. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting way of looking at it for um, yeah, avenues for people to buy the Switch. By not competing with anybody, they've managed to just escape that entire thing, really, because yeah. the Wii U tried to compete with, with the PS4 and the Xbox One, and it, didn't have, it, it just didn't. Uh, whereas this is one of those times where it makes complete sense to have a PC and a Switch, uh, to have a PS4 and a Switch. They have they don't have this limited market that's sort of caught in a console war. It's kind of universally applicable. You know, it's really funny because we always say that's the, you know, 20-year-old uh, uh, analysis. Nintendo doesn't compete with the other console makers or Nintendo does things differently. And, and it's always been true, but usually, I mean, it's been really hit and miss. Like for the Wii, it was yeah. a success, but I don't think it was a success, success for gamers. It was a success for a party trick that you would put out, you know, a, a couple of times a year and then it would go back in the... <laughs> in the uh, cupboard and for the wii u it completely flopped and that was also something you could say you know oh they're doing things differently but here the concept is what makes it work it it functions as a portable console so um that's that's absolutely and it's the it's exactly what you're saying it's the same thing they do things differently they're not competing with the um big guys in the in the industry and they're carving their quote-unquote niche, even if the niche is, is really large. Um, but this time it's working because they're doing it with a clever product. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. I'm fascinated to see what indies do with it. Yeah, that's the... Well, yeah. that's, again, another thing that they're doing pretty well is leveraging the indies' enthusiasm and market 
uh, for the console in a way that maybe others have done, but not in the same way. I mean, the uniqueness of the product being uh, uh, portable is a, a huge opportunity for indie games. So again, there's a synergy there then that maybe wasn't as important for uh, other consoles or even previous Nintendo consoles, and they're using this really well. So, the the um, Ouya people must be just... Because if you think about it, you know, Ouya, its main game was Towerfall, and... From what I know of Towerfall, it's, you know, party game, you sit down, you play with your friends. This is the literal perfect console for that. You just bring your Switch over, assuming you've got a few Joy-Cons. Now suddenly you and four or eight of your people can play like an indie, uh, like a party brawler, or just that whole genre of games that, in many ways, like it's existed on PC, but it's never really been the right platform for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And there are a few other games that would that might work like this. So, um yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to follow. And, you know, I was a little bit down on the Switch and things progressed in a positive manner as months uh, went by and they kept announcing different things and the price in, in Europe, or at least in France, came down to what I was, uh, you know, hoping it would be. So that was, that was overall a, a positive experience. But uh, yeah, now I'm kind of really happy with the Switch. Even though, again, I still don't recommend it for anyone because the only game there's right now yeah. is Zelda. So I would say wait until the end of the year. But um... which I guess comes back to those um, increased uh, sales, yeah. increased manufacturing. I think they know that like next, like next winter rolls around, and um, I guess the following fiscal year as well. That's when there'll be such a large library of if that Mario can live up to uh, 3D World or something, then. Yeah, that's it's going to be a good quarter for them, I suppose. Yeah. So I think if Mario can live up to the high expectations that we have for every Mario game and that games like 3D World and Zelda set, if it's as good as Zelda, basically there's going to be no need for any other game on the console ever. Everyone should own one anyway, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I'm overdoing it a little bit, obviously, but... Um, yeah, so I think they're going to sell a lot of them because it is they finally made, I think, the perfect second gaming device. And there's a lot of gamers that want a second gaming device, um, enough of them to make that uh, console a success. And all of the other ones, even if the Wii, again, was successful, I'm talking about from a gamer's perspective, and we could debate that for a long time, um, finally they have managed to create an actual second console that works really well for any gamer. So, yeah. Now that I think about it, I think the first people to have this idea were Razer. Oh, there's been a few was, different attempts. Was, yeah. Was it CES 2010? They had the it was the tablet with I think Windows 8.1. They were raving <laughs> that it could play Battlefield 3 on these two controllers uh, bolted onto the side at 30 frames a second. <laughs> Well, you know that's it's it's I can't I can't remember if it was Razer or Nvidia that had the idea first. Maybe it was Razer. You're right. Um, really interesting company, by the way. Yeah. Razer. Um they but, are. Yeah. So definitely. But, you know, it's nice to see that they're they're trying new ideas. You know, that's it. I don't use their keyboards anymore, but. Hey. Mm. Yeah, some cool ideas coming from them. Yeah, I, I have a Razer keyboard and mouse, a couple of mouse, mice actually. But um, but yeah, they're they're trying really interesting things. I think in a slightly clumsy way, they have the uh, PC Master Race ethos, which I think holds them back a little bit in some of their uh, endeavors, like the the silly 
concept laptop with three screens. I mean, it's funny, but come on. And a lot of the what they do yeah. is, has that kind of spirit like, into it. Goldan from World of Warcraft would absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Everything. Right. But uh, but they also have some interesting stuff. Some of the, their laptops are really good. They anyway. So that's Razer. Yeah. But I think it's kind of the same uh, moment when the iPhone or the iPad came out. You know, it's like these kinds of ideas have been done before, but never executed in a way that made sense from a user perspective. And Nintendo has managed to to create. You're right. It's kind of the same thing as that Razer concept or the um, Nvidia Shield, except the small changes make the concept work so it's really important those what might seem like small changes are really important if you want to uh, have a successful product yeah it, it's doing something new and doing it so good that you suddenly have a monopoly yeah exactly <laughs> Um, And so the other element of that puzzle is uh, Zelda. And I just want to talk very quickly again about it to mention um, one one story that's been making the rounds. Uh, Jim Sterling Review, he's a a (laughs) YouTuber, Uh, which... I mean, I, he's not my cup of tea. He's he kind of rides the controversy wave uh, more often than not, but he's also very straightforward and forceful and honest. But I I mean, he's not my kind of uh, uh, reviewer, the person I would go to, but still, he's a, a, a someone I would consider a genuine gamer who cares about games, and he gave a review that was. Uh, uh, seven out of ten for Zelda, and that launched into some idiotic. Uh, like some people were trying to uh, DDoS him to get his site down. Not trying, they actually did it. Yeah, which is the the height of idiocy. Um, but but I think overall it's kind of a non-story. So I almost I hesitated even talking about it. But I what I did want to say was. It, of course he can have his opinion. Of course some people are not going to like the game. It's almost universally praised, but you're going to have... Not everyone is going to be of the same opinion about everything. So, yeah, some people are not going to enjoy Zelda all that much. Although, you know, 7 out of 10 is not a bad ranking for a game. Um, what I didn't love was the fact that he he was mentioning things like, oh, they have towers just like in Assassin's Creed. Like getting hung up on the fact there are towers in the game where where the towers are fulfilling a completely different role uh, from a game design standpoint, not completely different, but significantly different uh, than they do in the other games. And, you know, it's like saying, oh, that game has swords just like Dark Souls and I don't like Dark Souls, so I don't like this other game, which I thought thought that was a little bit, um, you know, clumsy. but beyond that, I mean, if he doesn't like the game, it's fine. I think it's one of those things that seems to like pervade politics and the the whole spectrum of things where we can, okay, normally we can agree on the facts, I, I suppose. Um, but then it's just <laughs> we're going to say comes... we can agree on the facts, and now it's not really that. Well, <laughs> well that I just realized right. that that's not really how it works <laughs> these days. But yeah, we we mostly agree on the facts and just come to slightly different conclusions. But yeah, sometimes it. It seems like there's a, there's a group of people and it's just unfortunately a bit, it seems to them like it's incomprehensible that somebody might have a different uh, opinion, which is, yeah. I, I don't really know how we're going to get uh, sidestep that one. <laughs> like with James, I agreed with most of what he said, but I just wouldn't have weighted them uh, as negatively, but uh, he's, he's right to have his opinion. Plus it's, 
there's a certain morbid curiosity in the the things that go on with Jim Sterling. Yeah, for every now and then, he seems mm. to attract uh, fun times. Well, that's some yeah, that's something he he cultivates as well. I think it's the 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 core of his success. I think is that weird. I, I mean, anyway, we don't even need to yeah talk about it all that much. I just wanted to mention it because yes, people are going to have different opinions about things, and that's okay. So you know, you get. We don't have to always be in that sense of if, you know, I have, I think something and I need to convince people that that is the right way to think. Um, and that was an example of that. And there's but, a lot but, of it in gaming. So, But Patrick, you think is wrong thing. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> you know, that's funny because usually it's the other people uh, who, who think other things that are wrong. So... That's I'm not used to that me being wrong thing. It's it's uh, it's very confusing. <laughs> um, a couple uh, of additional things on on Zelda. Um, there are uh, uh, two videos which I would like to recommend if you still haven't had enough uh, of Zelda and and you know con- conversation and, and analysis and discussion about why Zelda is so interesting. Um, one of them is the uh, breaking conventions. Uh, with uh, the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild video, which is basically a panel from Nintendo that they made at GDC a little bit before the game was released um, and is available in in video form. And it's amazing. Like One thing I will mention is how there was one thing about the physics engine I couldn't put my finger on, which was making it so wonderful. And they talk on that panel about the fact that they went with a physics engine which is really important but part of it they separated both but it's really part of it was a chemistry engine and i i couldn't quite put my finger on it but that really makes it magical like the way different elements Uh interact with one another and the way uh some of the uh, chemistry elements can transform the state of other elements, be them uh, chemistry elements or physical elements. And that is fascinating. It put all of this physics engine magic in focus and explained why it was working so well in the game and why it felt so, uh, uh, so such like such an important part of the experience. So I would really encourage uh, anyone interested in this and going to check it out. It's oh. it's definitely one of the most joyous things when a developer is able to use one or two small systems to when when you probably look into the code and the interaction it's probably really quite simple but it's definitely done that the number of different scenarios and and feelings and gameplay that that tiny thing can create just balloons um almost like uh, the nemesis system in shadow of mordor or mm. yeah when it, whenever it's systems but really done uh, brilliantly like that well it's funny you you're saying this because that's exactly what they're talking about they're saying they're not a huge team um so they had to focus on systems that would fill the world sort of by themselves and through the uh, actions and creativity of the of the players and the way they they uh, uh called it, they coined a term called multiplicative gameplay. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Basically Perfect, putting yeah. a, a few elements of gameplay and letting them uh, balloon into more than what the individual parts are. And it really works in this game. So um, I need to send that talk to the rest of the team. <laughs> <laughs> I think, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I've been joking uh, that 
basically every game developer right now is playing <laughs> uh, The Legend of Zelda and taking notes. I really think that's the case. Uh, and that talk kind of uh, explains a lot of it. And they even say by the end of it, you know, we hope that this game will inspire you to do your own things that are going to be amazing. And, you know, it's it's like the that magic of, uh, of GDC, which is uh, absolutely wonderful for gamers like us. But uh, they talk about yeah. a bunch of other things in the talk. I really encourage you guys to go and check it out. Yeah, like we're, um, we're doing a game with Kaiju in it. So one of our following a sort of a similar idea uh, this sort of food chain system is what we've been trying to cultivate. So all the different kaiju have their own interactions between each other. And, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, evolution or something. You just sort of set it up and it kind of runs itself. Mm, yeah. It seems like something that would, you know, well, go check it out. You Go watch the video. Mm. I think you'll, you'll, you'll get something out of it. Absolutely. Um, and the other one is a little bit shorter, but it's, uh, it gives me the opportunity to talk about a channel I, I really love called, um, it's Mark Brown's channel. Uh, his series is Game Maker's Toolkit. And, uh, he goes over why he thinks that Zelda is the resounding su success, uh, that he thinks it is. It's just, you know, um, Legend of Zelda, uh, an open world adventure. I'm going to link that video in the show notes. Go check that out as well. But basically, it summarizes my feelings for the game, which is it's just adventure. It's not about creating a, a game or gaminess. It's about putting the, uh, the the player in an adventure. And that's what it achieves. And he details why and how it works. And his whole channel is wonderful. But that, one, that video is especially interesting for um, today's, well, for Zelda. So, yeah, I, I can't recommend his entire channel enough. It's it is one of the best bits of content on the internet. I'd say it's brilliant. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right, a few other tidbits uh, on the Sony side. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn has had a very significant sales, basically two point six million units in under two weeks. That's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the best uh, 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 launch numbers for a new franchise from Sony. And uh, 2.6 million is huge. We knew that, you know, Zelda was doing well and we weren't sure exactly how well Horizon Zero Dawn was doing. But when you have 50 million consoles in the wild, I guess that's an installed base that is going to give you good numbers if you do a good game. So uh, we don't know exactly how many um, Zeldas have been sold. We know there are over one point, well, we su suspect there are over 1.5 million consoles sold for the Switch. But uh, as I uh, failed on Twitter, there uh, I forgot to remember that there are also Wii U versions of the game. Um, so even if you know every Switch has sold one um, unit of Zelda, then there might be also Wii U versions, and we don't know exactly which one did better. Which honestly doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is doing really well, and I might pick it up as well after I'm done with Zelda. Which I don't know what when that will be, but. Um, so yeah, that's good news uh, for that game. I'm that that's really amazed me because even thinking about uh like as an example, I think the 2013 Tomb Raider sold six million copies in however many months, and that was considered a really, you know, big failure for this multi-platform game. And then we see this just come in and completely I I don't know if dominate is the right word, but that's really I was stunned when I saw that number. Yeah, it is, you know. And I mean the the um 
the, the the context is different as well for Tomb Raider because there is you know it has it's a franchise it has a history and I think originally um, they were disappointed with the sales for the 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 launch window but then over the months it, it became a little bit more uh, popular and people were um, well people uh, the, the the sale numbers were. <laughs> Uh, more satisfactory, which is why they launch into the you know the sequels and et cetera et cetera um but yeah for i mean for for horizon, maybe we don't even need to really get into it, but another reason i I'm happy about that is the uh, yet another proof that you know you can have a, f- a strong female lead, and not only does it sell well, but that doesn't even really matter beyond a few really angry people. It doesn't matter anymore that we have a female lead, whereas I think a few years ago it might have been a big deal. Now it was mentioned at E3, and, and now it's almost not a topic of conversation, which is awesome. So Yeah, uh, even go- it was funny going back to like Mass Effect 3 and seeing its marketing before the FamShep trailer came out, and I was like, who's this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's nice that that's uh, a non-issue, because like even when it was a debate, it was... It's a pretty boring one, and there's like it, yeah. The the market, not not to take an overly sort of free market perspective on it, but it, it's nice that the market has has proven that yeah, it, it obviously does work. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so, and yeah. The hope is like there will be a few executives who maybe it's one of those things. I remember talking to I was at a conference. Um, Barry Mead was talking at it. He's the guy at the room. Uh, it's like the series of iPad games. But he went on this, it was a glorious 20 minute long rant full of just like, the swears per minute was was great. He was really getting into it. Um, but about how, uh, you know, the, the numbers follow the previous numbers. You need to do something new to sort of create new trends. And that's one of, you know, the weaker parts of, of some of the publisher uh, world is like, well, this thing previously worked with a male protagonist. So we don't want to deviate from that. Uh, when really it, it seems like there was only poor numbers for games like that because they just hadn't been tried properly or uh, they didn't have the requisite like funds put behind them. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think we're we're seeing the results of that realization a couple of years ago that, oh, well, we're doing this and we could be trying that. And now they're trying that. And because for a number of reasons, it's the right thing to do and et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, I, I didn't want to be launched into it, but I didn't want to mention it. Um, and uh, lastly, the PlayStation Now uh, is going to include PlayStation 4 games uh, going forward. I think it starts in, what what is it, in a, a couple of months. And uh, it's only available on PlayStation 4 and um, PC. And that's where it gets to you, Michael, because mm-hmm. if yes. we get... Um, it also seems the price has dropped a little bit. It's 100 bucks a year or 20 a month. And uh, the yearly uh, amount, if you have some of the Sony exclusive games, I feel could be interesting to a PC gamer. I mean, if if we start getting, which we don't yet, but if we start getting, you know, the latest Uncharted and uh, The Last of Us, and maybe they, they're not going to put it in the service, but that might do the trick for you. Yeah, the, at the end of the day, Sony funds... As much as you know, you get the odd Beyond Two Souls or something, but they do fund some of the best games. Just yeah, just flat out the best games. Like uh, as much as PC Gamer, Wow YouTube Channel, you know all that. Uh, my favorite game of that whole sort of last console generation was The Last of Us. Ah, a man after you know, I, my own heart. Yeah, so um, had to have a, a PS3 for that one. Uh, certainly, I think it's 
yeah, it, it will be pretty big for PC. The the only thing that would hold me back slightly is I it's weird. I can't see myself in my office chair playing Uncharted. Mm. Uh, but with Steam in home streaming and all of that, there there are ways around that. I think one of the trickier things to deal with with PlayStation uh, now and a lot of those streaming services is lag. Uh, that yeah. said, a lot of the games like Uncharted 4, you know, like I'm, I love my frame rates. Got 100 hertz monitor, <laughs> it's buttery smooth. But for whatever reason, when I was playing Uncharted 4, I didn't really care because I've never experienced a better 30 frames per second in my life. Uh, just the frame timings being solid, never deviates. So, you know, technically impressive. If they can find a way to just have the streaming uh, quality really allow the same gameplay to exist, I think it will be very big. And I think Sony clearly know there's a group they're not going to convert, but that really want to play their exclusive games because they're brilliant. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's all gonna be the the library how how good it is. But it's also, I think, really interesting to see Sony prepare for the possibility that this is going to be the way people or some people uh, consume games in the future, basically creating a Netflix of gaming. And if they manage to, I mean, they do need some of the uh, third-party developers to be on board, um, but they also have a library of games that is, or or franchises that is good enough. And it feels like, I know some people might call call me a little bit biased, but... I really don't think so. I think it's true that they're developing more, you know, uh, uh, interesting sequels and different franchises and new properties on uh, their their platform than Microsoft is, especially in the past year or two. Maybe it's going to change with the Sor- the Scorpio coming out, you know, ne- this year. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, it feels like Sony is better prepared for or preparing better for the potential future than Microsoft might be. But I don't know. Yeah, Microsoft, they, I think they, they've tried to lean quite heavily in Halo and then maybe didn't have uh, as much of a success with Halo 5 as they wanted, whereas mm. Sony's just continually pumped out really good quality stuff. Um, I know that like they've, from what I sort of hear from a few interviews and stuff, Sony are pretty... Uh, they allow for quite a lot of creative freedom. Uh, I know from the Guerrilla Games guys, they were pretty much allowed, uh, the behind Horizon Zero Dawn, they were pretty much allowed to do whatever they want, um, mm. which is really nice to see from them because Killzone, I'm, you know, it, it wasn't the most unique thing ever. It was definitely cool. <laughs> That's an them. understatement. Yeah, it was really nice seeing them do something that feels like a really creatively interesting piece of work. Yeah. And finally, the PlayStation 3 is nearing its end of life. Uh, the production is going to be winding down in the next couple of months. And uh, it's been 10 years since the console launched. It launched in Japan in November 26, 26 2006. <laughs> and, um, and in March 2007, I believe, in uh, EU and the US maybe. Uh, but yeah, so it's been 10 years. A good long life. And I think if anything is to be remembered from the PlayStation 3 is that it's that you can have an absolutely disastrous horrendous start and still manage to uh to to get a successful console ultimately if you put your muscles behind it so um yeah that's what yeah they really killed it towards the end i i'd say the other thing to learn from that is don't piss off all the programmers as much as the the cell architecture was really powerful it 
doesn't seem like it made a lot of the coders happy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it engineer. was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, and the price at launch and like it that was a mess. The 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 early couple of years of PlayStation 3 were terrible. So Yeah, um, it it seemed messy. Anyway, but you were you were like what? Five when it launched? No, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even even remember the PlayStation oh, Three? Like, I remember third year maths class uh, <laughs> when I was like, oh, what, fourteen or something, debating which one was the best with a friend of mine. I was I was in camp PS Three because I was like, but it's really powerful. He was like, no, Xbox and well, <laughs> I bought an Xbox and played Halo for yeah my earlier years, and, as most uh, people did. Yeah, I got an. Yeah. I was Team Xbox 360 back in the day when uh, when it first started. It was ridiculous. The PlayStation was, and they were like, "Yeah, the cell." And w which was it? The Emotion Engine. Maybe that was PlayStation Two. Um, I think that was two. Yeah, but they a part were, of why the three was so expensive is it had it basically had a PS2 bolted on inside yeah, of it. On top of it, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's going to be it for the show. Um, I want to thank you uh, very deeply for being on, on the show. It was a real pleasure for me personally, because uh, as I said, I love what you do. Um, and if other, you know, if listeners want to find out what you do, they have been intrigued by our conversation. <laughs> Where would they go? Um, they could go to youtube.com slash gaming. So that's where all the, the World of Warcraft content goes. Uh, there's my Twitter handle, which is, uh, I suppose, the best place to get me, just at Bellier Gaming. And um, World of Warcraft videos and stuff aside, uh, I'd encourage people to look out for the World of Warcraft add-on that we're making. Uh, we want to redo the narrative. We're doing a whole bunch of voice acting. It, it should be pretty cool, and it should be out uh, within the month, assuming no insane disaster. Wow, already? That's going to be a really quick turnaround. You started, what, in January? Uh, yeah, yeah. We start in January. We um, there's this, there's this uh, mod called Console Port, which uh, I've, I mean, I don't use it that much, but I, I thought it was just a really well put together thing. So I ended up uh, getting to know that developer, and we've been working with him for some of the tech stuff. And cool. Thomas does his theater writing, so we've got the script going, and uh, yeah, it's been good fun. That said, it's only a zone at a time. We haven't done the entire of Azeroth in in three months. That. Oh, actually, just to just to explain to people what it is, uh, very quickly, you're basically uh, redoing uh, Elwyn Forest, which is the basically the starter zone for uh, humans in the game, and uh, you're redoing that from a narrative standpoint. The quest chains there, and uh, so you're basically going to be able to have a new adventure in Elwyn Forest, right? Yeah, um, it was amazing with Elwyn. Like, if you've, it would be bizarre, I think, to anyone who's played it since Cataclysm. The entire zone is actually a conspiracy about the Device Brotherhood, Vanessa Van Cleef, and this guy called The Collector. But you would never know that from playing it because you have to read quest text and wikis. Uh, so really our, our goal was for the zones like Elwyn that feel sparse to really bring out the narrative that is there. Um, and then for zones like, say, Westfall, which have a really good directed story, uh, the goal is just to kind of you know live up to that and provide an experience that feels maybe a bit closer to what people would be used to with Legion. Cool. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Um, oh, for me, thank you for having me as, as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 nice, you know. What ten years after? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's not dwell on that uh, even more than I have. Uh, maybe I did a little bit too much for my own sanity. Um, 
but yeah, so for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, you can find this show at frenchspin.com. And you can also leave us a, a review. Leave us a review on uh, iTunes, for example, just like Yeshi did uh, from the US. Uh, they said, great show, five stars. It's a great show. Just make sure you keep politics out of it. Let's stick to games. Well, we didn't, we didn't really talk about politics all that much. If you do like politics, there's another show you can listen to. It's called The Phileas Club, and it's also available on frenchspin.com. And on that show, we get people from different cultures, different parts of the world to tell us about what's been happening in their uh, corner of the planet and maybe tell us what they think about what's been happening in other parts of the planet. So you get perspective, conversations, respectful all the time, you know, being able to listen to people. And that's really important, I feel. So hopefully, uh, Yeshi, you get something out of it if you go and check out that show as well. And we'll keep talking about games on this one. Uh, and we'll do that next time in a couple of weeks. I hope you join us for that. And again, uh, Michael, thank you very much for being here and for uh, finally finding your way to me after 10 years. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thank you for having me. Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.